Welcome to the Broadcast Dialogue podcast, the show all about the media industry in Canada. In this episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast brought to you by Records and Rockstars Radio Show with Jeff Woods, available to stations as a daily or weekly feature. Learn more at MomentumMediaNetworks.com. On this episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast and off-the-cuff roundtable on the resurgence of community radio with Brian McKinnon, the executive director of Vancouver's highly successful co-op radio and Canadian Broadcast Industry Hall of Famer Don Schaefer. Schaefer is now a station volunteer, still nursing a few wounds from the failure of his Roundhouse radio venture, but getting set to launch a new show in May. We talk about the co-op model, whether there are lessons to be learned for commercial broadcasters, and the Roundhouse radio experiment. Part of the reason that I wanted to do a story on co-op radio is because community radio is really undergoing a renaissance. And and this station, well, I know, Don, that you, part of what Roundhouse was about was kind of modeled on the co-op model, was it not? The co-op model goes way back yeah. uh, to, to my university days. Uh, when I was when I was, you know, a young kid or young broadcaster. And a lot of us grew up with co-op or with university radio where community came first, where the program came first, uh, there wasn't an economic model. For me, being a commercial broadcaster almost all of my life, the idea that, that, that voices had shrunk, that, that less of the community was being heard, seemed more important than ever uh, for Roundhouse. But, it, but it's certainly a model that goes back a long time ago when local radio stations were local. So it's nice to see, you know, a, re- a revival, if you like, or more attention being spent, you know, on community radio. So the station started in 1975, basically by a group of local activist organizations. How, how have you, I guess, kind of carried on and persevered through what's been a landscape that's been challenging for the commercial broadcasters. Right. Well, so yes, we did start in 1975. Um, it was a couple of groups getting together uh, who had the same idea to put together a community radio station, and then they began working uh, on the same project. And this is back in the days when the CRTC were a little bit more liberal with helping you know, groups get started. So we received, at that point, a very strong signal. Uh, this was back at 102.7, um, which we actually were never able to fully utilize. And so at some point, Addison, we were able to make a deal with them to take on that, that piece. So now 100.5 FM, co-op radio. We've been around for 43 years. And our roots are very much uh, in the activist communities but also from multicultural uh, arts and culture and youth culture and different outsider, uh, particularly outsider arts and music genres. So at the very beginning, um, it was a lot of folk music and a lot of sort of the protest songs and the protest music of that era. 
and people uh, also from the jazz uh, and pushing creative music to different limits that just weren't getting any airplay on any of the commercial stations. It, you know, we were very much not and have never been about top 40 or the hits. It really has been a focus on local artists, uh, local communities, and particularly those who don't necessarily have a voice in the mainstream. And then over the years, as activism has changed and adapted and the different issues of the day have, have risen and fallen, Co-op Radio has, has gone through many different changes and many different people coming into uh, the station, being pretty much at the front and center of uh, issues such as uh, 60 Scoop. So part of our programming, um, and very early on, we had Indigenous representation and participation and the model is very much a by and for members of the community. So it's not about someone who is getting a spot on someone else's radio show is, and is going through the lens of, you know, of, of, of the mainstream. So whether it's someone with a disability, um, some, you know, uh, someone with addiction issues, poverty, uh, LGBTQ, um, uh, or indigenous issues, it, they are not being misrepresented and they actually have a place and a voice to not only learn the skills to put together a really good radio show, but this space and the broadcast environment to actually get the message out to their different communities. Uh, and then somewhere in the 90s, probably the mid to late mid 90s, uh, that's when we first started going online. And so we were tinkering with online streaming and you know, as many radio stations did, but very early on. And so that we're able to capture that. So today, now suddenly, uh, you know, we're on Facebook Live during live broadcast. We're able to interact live with listeners as they're listening on the radio. We're streaming online. We're on radio apps such as Radio Player Canada, <laughs> um, and uh, and and across many different platforms, uh, including podcasting of the episodes as they're becoming available. And so local radio, we are a hyper-local content, is really what community radio is about, uh, is able to go global in a way that it hasn't been able to before, but still bringing the voices of people who didn't, don't actually have access through commercial stations. And so with Co-op Radio, it's 50-50 music and culture with what I would say public affairs or local news uh, or uh, local news and issues. Um, and so on, on the issues such as indigenous, indigenous issues such as 60 Scoop uh, or residential schools, this is a topic that can be talked about. We go in depth with it. We bring in people and survivors uh, and the children of survivors who can talk about that issue and keep talking about it as it enters the mainstream news cycle in smaller blips. And so the idea is that mainstream will pick up on an idea, do it for a little while, drop it, and never talk about it again, or maybe they'll talk about it at key points as legislation comes up. Community radio is able to keep the conversation alive and is able to help uh, participants in the movement really hone their voice on getting their messaging proper but also diving deep and going into sort of long, it's almost long-term investigative journalism that really doesn't exist in very many places anymore. 
So as a programmer, how do you assemble what happens on air here? Co-op radio is actually a mosaic of 90 different radio shows, uh, which are themselves act as independent, almost independent nonprofit organizations. So we are a cooperative of 90 different communities representing it's either through uh, language or, or you know, multicultural. Um, our mandate from the CRTC is to produce uh, in over 12 languages, uh, or it is issue-based, uh, such as th- the effects of poverty or LGBTQ or you know, uh, addictions and, and all that. For example, talk recovery is going on in the next right. studio. That would be that would be an example of, I guess, what you're uh, that epitomizes the concept that you're talking about. How how do you uh, you know collect collect all all your talent and and decide you know what what's a good show and and what's not a good show? Uh, yeah. So talk re- talk recovery radio is an example of an issues based show, um, and it came about uh, as we are approached by members of the public. So part of what co-op radio uh, is able to do for the community, and when, when I say community, it's the entire Lower Mainland and Fraser Valley, um, is our is our local, you know, our, our backyard. Uh, we're located here in the downtown east side. People approach us, and also we do a lot of outreach uh, to community groups, associations, the general public at large. We offer training in audio production, audio skills, on-air skills, speaking into a mic, uh, mixing, editing, uh, how to uh, how to promote, <laughs> you know your your uh, your show that that type of stuff. This is why I like co-op radio, okay. and this goes back to your first question. You know, commercial radio can't do this. It 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 can't do it because the model is completely different, and it's and it's listener based and revenue based, mm-hmm. and so there is there is a mandate. That, that, that forces commercial radio stations to go for the lowest common denominator, to play the fewest amount of songs, to keep the programming so tight that it can't breathe, and therefore it cannot represent the community in, well, in a large scale. You so, essentially tried to take this idea yeah, commercial. Yeah, I did. I wasn't terribly successful. But, but I think we're, we were you know, given time, or, or I think we were on the right track, and given time, you know, you have to believe... That, that what Brian and, and, and what co-op are doing, at least I do, you know, that they can reach into the community and make all of these resources available and, and look for all of these great ideas and this, and this, the great stories that aren't being told on commercial radio. So, so just, just by allowing that to be a catalyst, to be, to be a skunk works or to be a, to be a lab as such, to bring all those voices and people and ideas together is tremendous. So that excites me. And I think that's, you know, by, by making that opportunity available, uh, you know, a lot will come out of that. So what do you think the takeaways are from the community radio renaissance lessons to be learned for the larger broadcasting community? Well, with hyper, with the local broadcasting just disappearing, um, content on sort of local broadcasters here, but the content disappearing, that lessons if they want to learn them <laughs> are to engage people at their own level, but also to allow them to have their own voice. So many people in the professional commercial radio got their start through community radio, um, including <laughs> you know, many people that you know in your organization. 
Uh, and that is really the great channel. So a lot of what we do is training and it's providing access and, and training for people to further their careers. And when people do move on into the commercial world, we are thrilled because what we know is that the commercial uh, establishments are being populated by people who get what co good community programming is. Now, when they reach into, you know, when they get into those environments, then the structure of the commercial and the reality of commercial radio doesn't really allow for a lot of creativity and a lot of sort of freedom um, to do the things that we do. We do some pretty crazy things here <laughs> um, on community radio. And as you know, it, the experiments that we're able to get on because people come up with ideas that just wouldn't fly in a focus group or in a, you know create creativity by committee, writing by committee. Um, we have an indigenous program run by indigenous youth called Late Night with Savages. And the, the name itself is shocking and, you know, and sometimes we'll get a lot of comments on it, but it was named intentionally by the community to express a, you know, a, a, a strong emotional <laughs> uh, response to the feelings uh, that youth have growing up in an environment, an urbanized environment, as an indigenous youth. Um, it's a fabulous show. You should listen to it. <laughs> Um, we also, like Talk Recovery Radio is basically an NA meeting or an AA meeting live on the air with music. And it's fantastic. And you hear people's real stories um, that are incredibly complex, full of all the mistakes that human beings can make, and laid out there in this way that is that you have complete empathy with and an under, a deeper understanding of what's actually happening across the city of Vancouver and all the communities in BC around the fentanyl crisis, around opioid addictions, around all you know alcohol addictions, around violence that happens and just the general overall effects of poverty and generational abuse and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. These are things that don't really play well on commercial radio. <laughs> um, it, but it, there's a space here that can happen. So going back to your question, which is how do we attract people? It's we really we provide the container and the space and training um, and do it in a way that is low cost. I actually don't think commercial radio will ever be able to do this because we do not have a financial, uh, well, we have some financial requirements, but not the financial requirements that investors uh, need to have in order to get through, uh, you know, putting up money to produce a radio station. Our overall budget, uh, our annual budget is probably the monthly budget of any one of the stations that are on in Vancouver right now. So we can do, we, we've learned how to do a lot with less. And from that, we are able to produce amazing programming. Don, coming from your background in radio and business, do you think that broadcasting has become too risk averse? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I mean, I mean, personal answer. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I, I grew up in commercial radio, you know, for 50 years, so I, I, I know it pretty well, and I know it inside out, and you know, it's it's fairly limited today compared to what it was 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, or 30 years ago, and to Brian's point, you know, it's 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 become very restrictive. And it's an it's a it's an old economic model, uh, you know. Radio has to find a way to reinvent itself, and it hasn't found it yet. Uh, you know, I still I still you know in in, a ter in terms of commercial competitive markets, 
you know, CBC is still the number one station in most competitive markets. Why is that? And, and the answer for me is pretty simple, is that they're more creative. You know, a college radio station, a community radio station, doesn't have near the resources that those other stations have, but yet they do have access that the other stations don't have to, which is a lot of community talent. And, and a lot of the talent that Brian talked about that we'll hear tomorrow is starting today here. A lot of private broadcasters would say that the CBC, you know, has resources that that it doesn't have. Yeah, you know, I've heard that story all of my career. You know, I remember, and in, 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 when I first, when I was a program director at CFOX, I remember I remember the first rating book that came out, and and I and I noticed that this little thing called CBC was was doing well, and I and I said to to the management of the company at the time, I said, how, how, how come this station's doing well? And they said, oh, don't worry about it, it's just CBC. You know, they don't count. You know, they, they, don't, they, don't, they, don't, they don't compete for programming. Uh, they, I mean, you know, they, they don't compete for listings or advertising dollars, don't worry about it. I said, yeah, but, but it's the same audience. And, and every year, every rating, every rating period that came out, you know, the audience kept getting larger. So, so there's so there's two there's two comments to your question, and one is, you know, they produce good programming. I don't, I don't, it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter how they get there, but they produce good programming. You know, commercial radio could produce better programming. You know, if they if they allowed their people to be more creative, and allowed them to be more resourceful, and actually and actually did what we used to do in the old days. You know of of you know, creating creative programming, similar to what co-op radio is trying to do. So I, so I, I, don't, I don't think it's a matter of resources. It's a matter of how creative you can be. Lots of radio stations have been incredibly creative and done very, very well competitively with very few resources because they, rely, they, they allowed their people in the organization to be creative and flexible and responsive to what was happening on the street. You know, we don't see that very often in most radio stations. And essentially, you tap into the community for that creative spark here at Co-op. So a typical radio show, in order to be sustainable, but also to really get to, you know, their their groove on, requires anywhere between 5 and 15 people, depending on what they're trying to accomplish. And so it sort of goes to that model where, you know, you'll have 12 producers on one show at CBC. We can get up to 15 volunteers working on a one-hour program and then it really is a community working together to produce the highest quality they can, and different people take on different roles as they're also learning um, how to either, whether it's research, whether it's hosting, interviewing, being in front of the mic, or doing some, you know, operating the board, and doing some of the post-production to make sure that the quality of the sound is quite high. When you're talking about the numbers of you know, how CBC does, how commercial radio does, Community radio in, in pretty much every market, there were two studies done through the NCRA, um, reaches, you know, it, across Canada on average, 2% of a population are listening at any time to community to a community or college uh, radio station. Um, here in Vancouver, co-op radio, we enjoy a 5% share of the market based partly on our longevity, but also we are not associated with a campus community radio station. We're not seen as college radio. We actually are seen in the market as competing with commercial radio stations. 
Do you know what the longest running of all your programs is? Yes, I believe it is Rock Talk, which is on Friday mornings with Michael Wilmore. Uh, I think he started uh, in 1975, um, and he's still on today. Uh, his show is fabulous. It's at uh, 9 a.m. Friday mornings. He is has an incredible wealth of knowledge um, on the history of rock and roll. And what he does, he doesn't play the hits. What he'll do is he'll go deep into the record stacks of you know, he'll go, he did a show on Elvis's record collection, that kind of thing, and he'll go into the B-sides and the history. He also does a lot of focus on the Canadian uh, rock and roll scene of the 50s and 60s, which was quite bigger than I've ever imagined, including record labels and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, the next one, I believe, would be West Coast Classics with uh, Kerry uh, Regier, uh, which is on uh, Wednesdays. And he has been doing, he's the longest-running classical uh, radio show. He's been going on for 30 plus years. Uh, he has also, his, the, the focus of his show is he's very well connected internationally with music, music files of the classical sort. So he's able to get his hands on recordings that are not actually available to the public or even available uh, or not even put in professional uh, recordings. They, these are hand tape recorders that people might have brought into a particular symphony and are, he's a, been able to capture the best composers, the best uh, conductors and orchestras at the peak of their careers. And so we're able to play that. And then because he's known in the community, people send him things. So it's really an excellent, excellent show. What is Co-ops Radio's secret to that sustainable volunteer and on-air talent base? Because community radio, as you may know, is notoriously known for imploding and politics. Is Does everyone just have like the West Coast chill on here or what's, what's going on? We have very lively AGMs with our membership. Um, as a cooperative, though, we are, it is, you know, we are owned by the membership. Um, and every member has one vote. So this is the opposite of, you know, different from a nonprofit or from even a, from a corporation where it's percentage of shares and all that. Um, it's one person, one vote. And when you're working with 12 different uh, ethno-cultural ethno groups in 12 different languages, it can be a bit of the Tower of Babel here sometimes. And we have to be able to work together um, to understand each other culturally and also through language. And because of that, we're able to slow things down a little bit. We just understand that other people just need a bit more time to understand. Uh, and we, with translation and you know, running a meeting can be challenging. Because of that, the community comes together and it, they really, it just works because we recognize that everyone, that we are working in such a diverse environment. When you come to a party at Co-op Radio, you, it is, the entire world is represented here. It's, it's quite an amazing thing uh, to, to witness. It's very unique in the city of Vancouver. So tell me about how your location impacts what happens here at Co-op Radio. Because to, just to get in the front door, I mean, you are stepping over the epitome of the downtown east side street life. Uh, well, we, we started in the downtown east side, so mm -hmm. our first station was 200 meters from here at the corner of Carroll and Hastings. We're now at Columbia and, and Hastings. I think that's actually, the fact that we're in the downtown east side is a big piece of who we are. 
um, in terms of our social justice roots and particularly around human rights. Um, we are a space that provides a voice for the voiceless and the homeless communities in Vancouver, but in every community, rural and urban around the world, which are growing and, in and increasingly being affected, again, by generational abuse or by addictions, particularly opioids right now. Um, this is a reality for everyone. So it's, if it's front and center as part of Co-op Radio's you know, reality of, of the building, um, but it's very much representation, representative in our programming. Uh, we do have a show called Maine in Hastings. We have a show called East Side Stories. Um, we routinely uh, talk about and have been talking about for years issues around recreational uh, and medicinal drugs, around addictions, around um, the effects of uh, pharmaceutical <laughs> and industry and medical industry, HIV AIDS you know, back in the day and breast cancer and all of the different issues that affect everyone. And be, by being a community station, we're able to bring in those voices and allow access uh, for those voices to be heard. Um, and particularly, you know, Carnegie Center down the street has been wonderful at opening their doors up to community members to have a voice in a way that, you know, that no, really very few communities do. Um, and so Co-op Radio, working with different nonprofits, uh, are able to access their membership and provide a space for, for their messages to get out. That's a lot of what we're doing with Dawn right now. Um, we're working on a show which is providing nonprofit organizations that are doing incredible work in, in many different er arenas um, to be, have a place to get their messages to people in a way that is not filtered or mediated through a commercial lens. Do you want to talk more about, about your show? Brian and I have been talking for a few months, and, and I, I mean, obviously, I love radio, as you can probably tell. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm a volunteer, and I'm, and I'm hanging around co-op radio, and uh, we're developing a show called The Conversation Lab. The idea being that the more conversations we have, the kinder and gentler we may all become, and uh, as we understand each other. So uh, working with community groups, uh, not-for-profits, and, and as Brian calls them, change makers uh, in our community by sussing them out, finding out who they are, and listening to their stories, we're hopefully bringing you know, our community and our world a little bit closer. So I'm having a ball putting it together, and I love hanging out here. So a lot of your your programming is getting a second life in in podcasting form. Do you want to talk about sure. that? Yeah. Um, well, right now, uh, every hour that we produce um, automatically is uploaded to the website as raw content. Um, and then many of the shows, the goal is to get all of them. But uh, right now it's about uh, 20 shows uh, are then this post-production put into a podcast format and uploaded to Spreaker.com. Um, podcasting has also rejuvenated a lot of the volunteer outreach, particularly around youth. Uh, and so last year, our goal was to increase youth participation, particularly for multicultural and indigenous youth across the region. The roots of Vancouver Co-op Radio, of course, you know, was a very East Van kind of thing for many years. But the affordability issues of the city is just no longer the case. People live everywhere and the and entire uh, Lower Mainland and Fraser Valley, and those are the, the you know, Surrey is, you know, the fastest growing community. And so podcasting is actually a wonderful uh, tool 
to invite people who might not want to commit to a weekly radio show and, and get involved in a collective, but have really great ideas, want to learn audio uh, production and get the chance to play in our studios to produce a, a podcast on their own schedule. Um, and so increasingly, you know, we, we have there's 168 hours in a broadcast week, but our online, uh, uh, our online ability is infinite. Um, we're as big as our uh, our storage can be. Um, and so this is where podcasting is able to bring people who just, you know, who want to try it out, come in and can feel a little bit more comfortable. Many of them are then landing in radio shows. You've also been opening up your studio to young artists, right? That's right. So, well, Co-op Radio, there's two organizations. There's the Community Radio Education Society, which is our sister charity, and then Vancouver Co-op Radio, which is the cooperative. Um, CRESS has a program uh, through the Media Arts Committee, uh, through Canada Council funding. We are able to provide, uh, it's a artist-in-residence program for sound artists to come and learn how to use the equipment, get access to the equipment for you know 24-hour station access. Uh, and then we are, they produce tracks which are uh, you know, uploaded and uh, made available uh, to the public. Uh, and we also put on live events where we do you know, the, the listening parties. There's a long history of sound art. Hildegard Vesterkamp is a longtime member with both Vancouver Co-op Radio and Cress. An exciting new program that we're working on right now is to open up, is to adapt and open the studios for the emerging and explosion of local musicians that is happening. Um, there's always been a lively local music scene in Vancouver, but as I'm, you know, as I'm, as we were talking about, uh, increasingly hip hop and electronic dance is is being able. Young people are able to produce tracks through their you know laptops and their home computers. And what we want to do is give them the opportunity to come in and work in a professional studio environment um, and match them with mentors uh, who can teach them how to basically produce uh, a professional eight-track recording, but also provide a networking opportunities with producers, uh, those who make the beats, with the singers, and put together different projects that can then have life, you know, they can move on from there. Uh, our goal this year is to have two projects every month where we're producing tracks and then also partnering with different performance spaces around town um, to do live performance of uh, and showcase really emerging artists. They'll retain the rights to their to their to what they produce here uh, and it's completely free of charge. So what's different from other recording studios and non-profit you know, community recording studios that exist in the city, there are those that provide the space but no training there are those that provide training, but it's at a cost that is you know, that can be a barrier to a lot of youth. We're actually providing everything for free in a program that really makes sure that helps them produce a track. So at the end, they have something they can walk away with. Right. Anything else you want to add, Don? No, I missed Brian's interview. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm learning. You Did know? you start in community or community or college radio? I started in college radio. Uh, okay. Yeah, I started in college radio. Actually, Where did you? Not, actually, that's not true. It's not. I started by being a gopher uh, in the late 50s, early 60s, at a little radio station in Pittsburgh. Oh. So I ran for, I, I was the gopher that went for copy, that went for hamburgers, that went for coffee, whatever. What was the name of the station? It was uh, KQV and WEEP. <laughs> Weep for joy. 
<laughs> that was the tag? Yeah, that was the tag. <laughs> Holy. Uh, if I was going to add something, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little grumpy. I'm a little grumpy about commercial radio or the commercial media industry in general because of the downsizing that's going on and because of the lack of what I consider lack of creativity. But in fairness, you know, in, in Brian's kind of, in, in, in this conversation, I'm kind of coming around, you know, each sector has its mandate. CBC has a mandate to be as popular and to be as fulfilling to, the Canadi to Canadians as, as much as possible. Every commercial radio station or every commercial TV station has a mandate to a specific audience and a, and a, and a need to be competitive in their niche whatever that happens to be, and there's a way to go about that. And, and co-op or campus radio or community radio stations, you know, have a, have a more generous ability to reach its mandate differently. So, you know, while, while it's easy to be critical of commercial media or private, the private sector, yes. and, I, and I do, I am having fun when I do that. You know, in fairness, they, they, have, they have their own challenges. Uh, as does CBC, as, as does, as does community, ra as community radio. It's okay to be grumpy, Don. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, you just came off, uh, you know, a very innovative venture that a lot of a lot of people in the broadcasting community were cheerleading. Do you think it didn't have enough time? Do you think Roundhouse could have been successful in the long term? Do you have Do you have thoughts now that you've had? you know, some time to reflect. This is now a roundhouse interview. <laughs> yeah. Uh, short, short story is, you know, is if, if, if I think if I had a skill set that I, that I was most proud of, I, I think I was a reasonably good programmer. Looking at, you know, some of the stations I've, I program more than managed, uh, over the years, and and I always relied on what I call the vital signs. Like, what are the vital signs? Forget ratings, but but how do you know that the that the patient's alive? How do you know that the station's got got a pulse? And and when you've been at it long enough, or 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 when you're in a moment where you can feel it, you know, you you know you know that it's happening. Uh, you know, and specifically for me, it's you know. What's happening on the phone? What's happening online? Uh, what kind of feedback are you getting? What are people saying about you? And 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 when you don't have ratings, you know those are the kinds of things that give you some indication that you're doing good work. So, so the answer to your question is yeah, the patient had a pulse. Uh, you know, it was a year and a half, just just coming up to the two year mark. Of, of, of starting something from brand new or from scratch. You know, that takes a lot of work. For anybody who's built a radio station or anybody who's built a new business, it takes time, uh, unless you're a franchise, where, where it all comes together. Uh, it, took us, it, took us, it took us a good year to get our rhythm, to get the team in place, to learn how to work together, to de develop programming. So it's, 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 a, it's a long process. But uh, but yeah, I think I think had had we not run out of money, had we had more time, but yeah, I think the station could have found its its way into the market. It would have found it would have found its niche, which would have been somewhere between 
CBC and community radio and, and NPR and some of those other voices that are out there that are doing really unique work. Do you feel that perhaps the station's initial mandate was too ambitious? Well, it was my mandate, so no. <laughs> uh, no, I think, no, I, I you know. I, I mean, you had a lot of fantastic talent uh, that I imagine also came with fantastic salaries. Terry David Mulligan and Janelyn White and Kirk LaPointe. Big names in Canadian media. You know, it's it's you know it, it. I'm I'm humbled and to tell you, and and uh, my friends would probably you know, and their agents would probably not want me to tell you this, but but all of our staff worked for half of what their competitors work for at other markets, and and they came they came to the station knowing that they would make less. Uh, with hopes that they would make more one day, but they came they came to the station prepared to make less because they believed in the project uh, so you know none of none of those marquee talent or none of that marquee talent you know asked for big bucks uh, they all came they all came for love and a belief that radio could be something different you know which is why you know you know i 'm hanging out at, at co op radio because I believe that it can be something different, that it can be more than what we hear on most stations on the band. But if you're positioning, you know, that uh, uh, the community radio and then there's CBC and there's a space in between, but one of the things that we're teaching Don here is a radical <laughs> grassroots community activist uh, can actually be a financially viable 45 years uh, running station and so and it has to be this independent <coughs> operation that is really free of corporate interest in order to survive in that activist way and so this it's this very interesting place there has to be a space for this type of voice and community radio is really one of the last places where it exists um, and so just I just wanted to reiterate the importance. No, that's of, a great point. That's a yeah. great point. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, is, it is a great point, Brian. Do you think that space that Roundhouse tried to fill exists? Is there a place between, you know, is there a niche between community radio and the CBC that, uh, that's commercially viable? I don't know. Um, I think uh, uh, this is the world that I live in. Um, do I think I think there's a niche? Anyone can make something. What am I trying to say here? Um, I like Don. <laughs> <laughs> I think Don's great. Yeah, no. I, I mean, I'm trying. I'm trying to answer the question for him, and I think I think the the. You know, I mean. No, but for, I, I, I could get there, which is. That no, I do believe that there's room for everyone, and so actually, when any, whenever you hear, oh, there's a new station coming online, or there's a new online competitor, or there's a new community group that's thinking of coming in, there's definitely there, there were, uh, I think, a CFNR are coming into town. That's the new Indigenous station that's starting up. Um, there's room for everyone in the in the broadcast market, and actually, we should be working closer together. And it is true what I have found in the industry, and maybe you folks have a different opinion, I do find that the doors of the corporate radio stations are absolutely closed. They do not want to engage with others. They don't want to speak. And there's a bit of, 
uh, it's just that is a cultural decision. Um, from a community point, we speak with everyone and we are very open, uh, which is, you know, again, how I can be sitting here with Don, who would be in the, in the radio world, or, you know, the former competitor or the competitor. But uh, we are absolutely... You didn't see me as a competitor, did you? Um, I think in radio, in, in sort of radio business, oh. you would be a competitor. But we were just down the street and trying to do many of the same things. Yeah, that's right. But in terms of, uh, no, that's what I'm saying. So in the community model, we are open and we speak with, uh, we try to sp engage with as many people as possible. Uh, because we're all actually, on some level, trying to engage the listeners <laughs> and the communities and the citizens of this country. Our take on it, though, is to make sure that we're reaching all of the participants at all stratas and all cultures um, from uh, by media created by and for the people. I mean, the only thing I'd add to that is is you know what what keeps me up at night is is the uh, the amount of layoffs and the amount of downsizing and the shrinking voices in media, period. You know, which goes back to Brian's point about how important you know this radio station is. You know, in terms of the outreach that it that it allows, you know, and the voices that it puts on the air, and some of the program for me, you know, is is pretty eclectic. Having grown up with you know pretty commercial background, but I support, endorse, and love every moment of it because it's different. That's how I learn, and that's how we all learn. So, I think that's a good good place to good right. note to end on. All right. My thanks to Co-op Radio's Brian McKinnon and Don Schaefer. Schaefer's The Conversation Lab is set to launch May 5th. You can tune in at 100.5 FM in Vancouver or online at coopradio.org. For Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, I'm Connie Thiessen. Thanks for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.